top of the day everyone this is the hot garbage true crime edition i'm nisha your host and this is my beautiful best friend and co-host Buddha badass and last week i told you that i had a special surprise for you and i am here to deliver because sitting with us is the host of death row diaries and murder on ice the podcast and he's just awesome and i'm so happy he's here we have matt motherfucking ralston here matt Maddie. Yes, 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 yeah, it was, uh, we had you on the podcast, on my podcast a few weeks ago, and I enjoyed the conversation, so it's nice to, uh, return the favor. Yes, thank you so much for coming on, and I'm so excited about this, like, can you please tell me, like, a little, tell us a little bit about Death Row Diaries, and, you know, we're here to talk about Murder on Ice, but tell me a little bit about Death Row Diaries, because people are going to be so intrigued, you know, his co-host is actually on Death Row. Well, was on death row, but that's another story. That's real life out there. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, it was interesting. So I was working on the Murder on Ice podcast during the pandemic because I didn't really have anything to do. And, uh, you know, I'd always been interested in the case. And as part of that, I was interviewing people about, you know, the prison system because it's relevant to that case. And, uh, I ended up talking to this guy who he's part of this organization that actually wants to like eliminate the prison system, which I think is probably a really bad idea, but yeah, nice guy nonetheless, but he's like, you know, I know this guy that's on death row. You should talk to him. He's really cool. And I was like, you know, if you, if you hear that for the first time, you're like, well, that's weird. Right. Like, yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll talk to him, but I didn't, I didn't really think anything would come of it. I was just trying to be nice. And um, and I ended up talking to Bill and just being really, you know, interested in his story. And he, he just wasn't what I was expecting, you know. Okay. And so, I mean, the thing about the, the murder on ice, which is what we're going to talk about, that's the story of John Hartman. Uh, mm-hmm. So when I was preparing that... I had to like write out every word and do like a ton of research Mm. and you know just it was very very uh intense and time consuming and I think I thought after that I don't know if I can do another show like that I'd rather just do an interview type show where you can kind of just you know shoot the shit or whatever yeah Uh, much easier <laughs> that show is so murder on ice was so good and i think now i remember the guy you was talking about because i listened to the murder on ice and i want to tell you i was laughing so hard because i forgot his name but when he was saying he was like i don't think that we should go people should go to prison he said something about they should be in um what did he say they should be in some kind of like um recovery homes or something and you was like so you think that if a murderer should just be like in a home like you was so confused <laughs> I was like, is he serious? Because, (laughs) like, obviously, I got a huge problem with the prison system, and there are so many people in prison that don't need to be, and it's it's very racist, and, but that doesn't mean I don't think we should have prisons. Yeah. If you're murdering and raping people, I want you locked up. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I didn't know what he was talking about. I was like, what? (laughs) 
<laughs> that's why everybody make sure you guys because we're going to cover the case but make sure you guys also listen to his case murder on ice it's his podcast because he actually has good interviews like he literally like breaks it down i think it's like 10 episodes so you got to check that out yeah check that out we're doing uh i'm developing it into a tv show at the moment so hopefully you'll be able to see that at some point in the future Ooh, that's so exciting become somebody's favorite psychopath i know <laughs> Well, I wanted to ask before we get into Murder on Ice, I didn't ask you because I was like, okay, now he's just the homie, Matt. But I forgot to ask you, like, what brought you from Alaska to California? Because it's like two totally different things. Yeah, well, I was born in Alaska and I grew up there. But around the time I was uh, probably, you know, fifth or sixth grade, I realized I... I realized I didn't want to live there because mm-hmm. um, I was just very attracted to the big cities, you know. And so I I moved to Seattle where I went to college, and I started doing uh, stand-up there. I got, you know, humbly enough, I got very good at it. And so at that point, I chose to move to L.A. because um, I didn't love Seattle that much and uh, obviously LA is the place to be right right absolutely everybody tried to make it there yeah they do well that's yeah. that's awesome do you ever miss Alaska though do I miss it not really I mean if I went back I'd be happy to be there for a couple days and then the boredom and the uh uh I don't, I don't want to say hopelessness because that sounds pretty condescending, but yeah, uh, the, the lack of anything to do uh, <laughs> would start to. <laughs> like, I remember going back there, and I went to this bar with some friends, and and I realized it had been twenty years, and they're still sitting in the same stools. Oh like, wow! Nice. Like metaphorically, they haven't moved. Yeah. Know? And there was a there was a TV on, and I think at the time it was. Uh, do you guys remember when when there was that uh, volcano that exploded, and it like uh, you know it, you couldn't fly anywhere in like Europe because of the. No, no. I think yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah, I mean it was a it was an interesting news story, but point is I was sitting there watching that on the tv and i said to this guy next to me this alaskan guy i'm like whoa have you seen this and he was like yeah it's a new tv like he just thought i was talking about the actual tv not nice not what was on the TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god living the life uh, well well i want to say if you guys hear anything some idiot decided to just have some loud music on right now so if you guys hear anything i apologize did you hear anything matt because somebody had some loud music on and buddha had to close the garage because that because spoiler alert we're not in a studio we're the in the studio door the it studio was, door i mean i mean hit, had hit, we had to close the studio door i mean <laughs> uh, i can hear you guys fine uh, okay wonderful well, this is wonderful. So, now, Matt Ralston, I want to tell you that you're the only man on the face of the earth that's going to do something that nobody else has ever done. And you know what that is? What's that? 
you're gonna make me be quiet because usually i'm the one that's always talking and breaking the cases down and now we have a special guest on the line and he's gonna actually do all the talking so you're gonna hear it from him this case so i'm gonna be sitting here like quiet for once and i don't know how long when was the last time i was quiet (laughs) i think it was like a thursday (laughs) he was watching jason it was Friday the 13th, but you was watching it on the Thursday. It was weird. But you were quiet as shit that day. Well, thank you. So he's about to break down. So this is called the Fairbanks 4, which is crazy because we like to go over these cases, which is like um, kind of like the, to me, it's like the West Memphis 3, the Rodney Reed case. It's like it really divides people on did these people do it? Did they not do it? It's like one of those kind of cases. And it's so good. And some of these people you grew up with, correct, Matt? Oh, yeah, a lot of people central to the story are are people I knew. Uh, I mean, I knew the victim a little bit. uh, And I guess the guy that was responsible for for getting them locked up for the most part, named Arlo Olson, who uh, claimed he saw them from 550 feet away in the dark. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I actually did the experiment. I had someone stand 550 feet away from me and uh i couldn't tell if it was a person or an animal or a plant like it's it's physically impossible to uh, i'm glad you said that because i'd be thinking about hunting games all the time and the fact that i want to live through the apocalypse and so sometimes i'm like these guys talking about make sure you have a weapon that could shoot 200 yards i'm like can you see something at 200 freaking yards i don't know i'm not that guy you you really can't and uh so anyway that dude identified the four of them as being together just so happened that he then uh had his own case dropped but uh anyway that was my uh one of my best friend's older brothers who i actually thought was really cool when i was young but looking back maybe not the greatest guy yeah oh wow well I guess so take us like from the beginning because like I listened to the whole podcast but as always Buddha doesn't really know like about the cases and stuff so because he's not a true crime junkie I'm the true crime junkie he's my best friend so he's just kind of belong for the ride it's so, my place to not know Let's yeah not water down old Buddha <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry that we're not usually like this <laughs> We're always sorry. like this. Yes, we are. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Matt. What is from the beginning of it? From unfortunately, when poor John Hartman gets murdered. Yeah. Well, let's see. It was October 1997, and freezing cold outside. I think it was nine degrees, which is actually probably warm for that time. But uh, yeah, a 15 year old kid. Uh, or was he 14? can't remember, but he's uh, 15. He was 15. So he's uh, found on the street uh, at 4 in the morning in kind of a... in downtown Fairbanks, but that's that's not like downtown uh, LA or anything. Mm-hmm. It's still pretty... There's not, there's not much going on. So he had been laying there for a while. Uh, you know, he's clinging to life, barely breathing, and his face has got boot marks all over his face and, and he's laying there 
basically waiting to die, and then he, he does die um, a couple of days later in the hospital. But, you know, this set off a kind of a panic in the town that that kind of thing had never happened before and of course you know any any news story you you watch is going to have that cliche of this is not the kind of thing that happens in a small town Mm -hmm. well in fact Mm -hmm. it does happen in a small town quite a bit right especially in alaska like when i heard this story i was like you don't think about stuff like this happening in alaska like what yeah it was it was different you know Mm -hmm. because it, it seems so senseless. It wasn't a drug deal gone bad or anything, although it could have an element of that. We can get into that later. But, uh, you know, these uh, within 72 hours, these four kids are charged with murder, which is unheard of. Mm-hmm. You know, things are, aren't usually wrapped up and prosecuted that quickly, but they were under a lot of pressure to figure out who did this. And um, unfortunately, I think they You got it though, and sometimes it's hot. kind of a thing that's underlyingly spoke and nobody does it very obviously mm-hmm. but um, I just yeah. didn't think it was something that was big because you know, we just recently acquired Alaska as a state yeah and I did there's so many things that like I learned from your podcast I think I talked to you about it on Death Row Diaries on your podcast because I was like did you know people don't even live in igloos like for real in Alaska well, not that's like yeah. I didn't. He told me Did that. You just learned that. I, Matt Ralston just told me that when I went on his podcast. I love how you say his whole name too, Matt Ralston. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I just said his whole government but name just all the time. Just, just watch uh, Deadliest Catch, and you'll see those guys are living. Yeah, out there. I was like, well, yeah. well, watch Gold Rush. They actually do a lot <laughs> in Alaska. There's definitely some true stereotypes. It wouldn't be uncommon at all to see. Uh, 
you know, for someone to have a sled dog team living in their front yard and um, moose, you know, most people ate moose stew and uh, smoked salmon, so. <laughs> oh, wow. I love smoked salmon. I mean, that's the same thing as a guy who cooks deer or elk, and I know some guys who go do their own hunting. Yeah. And cut it up and do the butchering. Well, they some people send it off to butchering, but I know a few, not not, not a very, not a lot. But I never the meat got butchered. into it. My my family, my dad didn't hunt, but uh, we did fish. But uh, for some reason, we were still eating like garbage from from Costco, you know. Like, and I'm like, man, it, it would have been a lot healthier actually to be eating uh, deer and things like that. It is. It is. But it I don't believe crazy. in hunting, so your dad had the right idea. But you believe in eating hamburgers. Let's I, not go down this so, road. Okay, well, we're not going to go down this road again, because we, we go through this almost every episode where I'm like, I'm for the animals, Buddha's not for the animals. I am for advocate living of what is natural. Your process, <laughs> you, are the, you are a person who is advocate of an industry because you don't have to see the death. Then it's okay with you. Well, I, I I'm mean, okay, okay with stuff being seasonal. If it's not the time to have strawberries or not the ha- time to hunt deer, then there's no deer in the menu. Well, because my thing is, store. if there's some hamburger meat already dead, then me eating it is not going to bring it it's back. But I'm not going to go kill de- it. It's sorry for disturbing you. It's only <laughs> already dead because of consumer demand. Okay, <laughs> let's, we, I'm sorry. Let's not go off on a tangent because we could we oh, could talk man. about we talk about this. Man, so, <laughs> but. What were we at on the case? Oh, so the case. So I have a question because I I know that there's four guys and I mixed up the one because one of them had a good alibi. The one of them was, was it Marvin that was doing all the driving around and several people said they saw him during that time of the death, correct? Of John Hartman? Was that one Marvin? Yeah, yeah actually, uh, it, strangely enough, so this would have been directly before Hartman was attacked at uh, about 1230 at night, uh, an older gentleman was mugged. So all this is kind of centered near the, uh, called the Eagles Hall, which is one of those those uh, banquet halls. So mm-hmm. there was a wedding that night, and uh, Marvin, so all the four guys kind of converged there, their paths crossed, but he was the only one that was actually invited um, you know, invited guests at the wedding. But yeah, so many people saw him uh, during the exact time that Hartman was attacked at that wedding, dancing uh, and, you know, sitting around mm-hmm. dancing. And uh, so this older guy was mugged at 1230. And the, the police believed that the same people who mugged him were the ones that killed Hartman because... It was only a few blocks away and at, mm-hmm. at the same time, basically. Mm-hmm. So after that guy's mugged, he walks up to the wedding hall, and he's very shaken up, obviously, but not seriously injured. And Marvin is the one there greeting him, saying, should we call the police? Oh. So how is he going to be in two places at once, right? Uh, yeah, I don't so get that. So the guy who gets arrested is the guy who called the police? Yeah. This is like yeah. a Dave Chappelle stand-up right here. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also, so it's a wedding, and, you know, these are, like, young people, and they're drinking, obviously, uh, a lot of drinking in Fairbanks. And so no one knew the exact time, because, you know, mm-hmm. this is before cell phones, really, so it's not like, you know, you're, 
you're looking at the clock. You don't. You, you have a vague it's idea. It's a round amount estimate. So, yeah. You know, he had actually been shuffling. He he had a car. He was the only of this group that had a car. He was very proud of the car. He was from a poor family, of, uh, you know, broken home. Mm-hmm. And he had this little, uh, what was it, a Nissan? Uh, now, I'm, now I'm spacing on the, but you know, a little, yeah. a little blue car, not not a fancy car, but he was very proud of it. So he would take like every opportunity, you know, that guy, like, oh, you need a ride? Let me yeah. drive you there. Let me yeah. Go, you know? So it must he, have been a maxima. Right, because now, ga- you know, gas is too high for that. That's why when, as soon, when I was listening to that and you said he was driving every day, everywhere, I was like, damn, that was way before the gas got high like this. Yeah, no, I was thinking it was just the maximum for the style. If you're going to be bragging about a Nissan, oh, yeah. it's going to be the higher level. It has to be the sedan then version. Yeah. So, and in that year, I, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, he was 19 and yeah, he, he was just very... I mean, it's kind of a car culture because yeah. you know, everything's far away. So, um, so the, the three hundred. Oh yeah, the three hundred. That night, he he was going in and out all the time. He dropped a few people off. He went to use a payphone to try and score some weed, and uh, so in theory, he could have left, beat this kid to death, then returned back to the wedding as if nothing had happened, but. Right. You know, this was not a guy with a criminal record. He's, by all accounts, a very nice guy. And so that doesn't seem especially plausible with zero motive, right? Right. But nonetheless, so you got Marvin. You got Marvin. Uh, so that night, Eugene, the 17-year-old, um, he and Kevin... Um, two of the four, they were in a car uh, on the way from a party Mm -hmm. to the reception during the time Hartman was killed. So, highly unlikely. They were involved, they were in a car, and you know this is high school, there were nine people in the car. Right, (laughs) right. (laughs) Nice. All nine of them, or I guess all the other seven, said, we went directly there. We didn't stop and kill anyone. So that would seem to exclude them. Uh, and the issue now, though, is you have George Freeze mm-hmm. also at the wedding, extremely drunk. And now you have a scenario where he doesn't know. All right, so here's what happens. The next morning, George walks into the hospital and his foot is very damaged Mm -hmm. severely sprained ankle you just say broken ankle and that's the same hospital where now this kid john is laying there because he's trying to fight for his life and it doesn't take a especially skilled detective to say okay this guy you know his face has been stomped on and now this guy has a broken ankle and he's wearing boots that kind of match the marks on Harvard's face yeah so <laughs> maybe, he's <laughs> one, but, maybe he's the one that killed him 
But here's the thing, though, because when I heard that, I was like, wait a minute. Because I was like, okay, kicking a person isn't like kicking a door or a wall. Like, if I kick somebody, is my foot even going to break? Like, I was going to test that. I was going to kick Buddha real quick to see if my foot, can I kick you? Well, the trajectory in which they're doing the kicking. Is it, so is that possible that we're kicking a person because a person is more softer so I'm like would that really put you in a hospital it's not putting you in a hospital because of kicking the person is a person is a moving thing right a person isn't a dummy a, a sandbag I took boxing classes yeah. for a number of years and a, a couple of martial arts this is something I've learned a lot and this is why you don't invest all the way into a punch and put your whole strength in is because a person is a thinking moving object right that has rapid thought as as much as you do Mm -hmm. so at the last moment sometimes a person can move and you end up punching a wall or punching something behind so that is possible that maybe he went to kick him and he moved so that he he moved just enough he might have kicked him again on the next kick but that kick he moved and you kicked the curb and messed yourself up i didn't think about that what do you think about matt do you think that sounds plausible is that possible I don't know. I, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, it does seem a little bit cartoonish that you would be kicking someone to the point of breaking your ankle. Yeah, that's um, what I was like, huh? But, yeah, no, it, it, that's not what happened. <laughs> but yeah. it sounds that it sounds like great in karma, but in actuality, how karma works in the whole sense of it's you missed sometimes, oh. and it happens. It's the same thing which they say the bad way in which you make a knife and you can take the damage is sometimes if you're not a person that knows how to hold a knife, stabbing someone you cut yourself. Oh, that makes okay. See, we're sitting over here solving this case, right, Matt? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So unfortunately. <laughs> He doesn't have much of a um, alibi because he doesn't remember the entire night he was that drunk. Yeah. So he's trying to piece together what happened. He would later say that he hurt his foot when he got home later that night wrestling with his cousin in the bathroom. I don't know if I necessarily believe that, but yeah. I don't know how he how he did hurt his ankle other than that he was extremely drunk and stumbling around. So Yeah. Um well, it is true that he's fighting people that night. Mm-hmm. So you got George there in the hospital. You have Kevin, who is the the white guy out of the four. And that night, so they go to the wedding reception. Kevin comes home, and his mom calls the police on him because he is ran, he is drunk and being disorderly and. According to her, he punched her. Um, wow. Damn. Later, she would recant that Thank and you. say, I was just mad at him and I wanted I wanted to exaggerate to mm-hmm. teach him a lesson so that the police would come. Pretty bad parenting, actually. Yeah. But, um, so, you know, the cops, they say, all right, well, this kid is having a violent night. He got home again. He punched his mom, so we got to look at him. Then you also have Eugene, who got into an altercation with uh, the night clerk at a motel. Oh, yeah. Which is like, I don't know, three or four blocks from the the wedding reception hall. And so what happened here is, and I've talked to this guy, um, I think what happened was... They were having this drunken party in one of the rooms, you know, this crappy motel room. Mm-hmm. And he 
the clerk had asked them multiple times to quiet down. They were bothering everyone in the motel. However, this was called permanent fund dividend night. Now, you probably heard mm-hmm. the, the uh, urban legend that they pay you to live in Alaska. And I heard about that. Yeah, I was. I this was my first time hearing about that from the podcast. I was like, "They pay." I need to move. Have you heard what he's telling me before? Because if not, hush now. Okay, I'm what's be, going on? I'm gonna be quiet. Do you still get your? I mean, you don't have to say it on the podcast. I know you don't want anybody to know your business or anything. But if you, do you still get your permit or do you give it up when you move to California? I just told you to hush, and you just going. Oh, uh, okay. See, I can't be quiet. Sorry, I got a problem. I'm quiet. Go ahead. Yeah, you, you, you it. I think they're they're pretty strict about that, but. Um, so what it is, is it's a portion of the oil money, of the oil revenue. So it's different from year to year, but, you know, you don't have to be 18 to get this. You start getting it when you're a baby. So Ooh. every huh. every single person, and when you're uh, a teenager, uh, what was it this year? Um, like 2200 bucks, I think. That's a lot of money. Ooh. That's an awful lot of money. Yeah. So, you know, myself having uh, responsible parents, they would take my check and actually steal it. Is what they would do. Um, but I wasn't walking around with two thousand bucks and hundred dollar bills. But you know, the kids like Eugene who didn't have that kind of family support, they would just cash their check and they'd be rich for a week or two or whatever. Yeah. Um, so anyway, mm. the point point I was getting at is when you have all these people with all that money all of a sudden the the town is on fire you mm-hmm. know, people are people have money to drink now that they otherwise wouldn't have and so it's this big party party atmosphere and uh, like a lot of parties there it can it can go south pretty quick you know um, and so Anyway, I, I don't want to disturb you, but I the scenario that seems like it's happening and people are asking for reparations a lot at this time, and <clears throat> I could not think fathom a reason why it would go bad, but I do know that there's a whole lot of ignorism mm-hmm. still invested in the culture in which there will be the same thing that can happen even with Native Americans is what he's saying. Uh, I'm going to ask you, to divert for a second, and how did it go bad? Well, um, so there is like this mafioso type culture. I mean, it's a, Alaska is a pretty violent place, and I don't mean people shooting each other so much, but they they really tend to beat each other up all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like guys just looking for trouble. Um, so where it goes wrong for him is. Uh, this guy's trying to get them to quiet down in this room and they're ignoring him and they're mocking him. And so all of a sudden he calls the, see, cause this is a crazy night for the police because of all the money and stuff. So they, they can't respond to noise complaints like they normally would. It's not a high priority. So one way to get them to show up is to say Eugene has a gun on him. They uh, a gun on him. Mm-hmm. And, so according to the clerk, and I, you know, he, I think has some credibility issues, but he's certain it was Eugene 
Um, he was acquitted of that separately, but anyway, so now you have the four guys. You had uh, Eugene, who was uh, arrested for pulling a gun on someone that night, although when they found him, he did not have a gun, and I, he didn't uh, apparently own a gun of any kind. Uh, you have Kevin, who assaulted his own mom. You have George with the broken foot. And unfortunately for Marvin, and this is the level of detective work that was going on, none of those guys had a car. Mm-hmm. And so for the theory to work, um, they had to find a guy with a car. And so I think the detective, what he did was he looked in their high school yearbook and saw Marvin was on the same basketball team as these other three guys. And so the theory becomes these are a crew of guys, they're best friends, and they, um, you know, beat this kid nearly to death and he drove away. So Marvin gets thrown into the whole four thing just because it was convenient for the detectives that they needed a getaway vehicle basically oh yeah that makes sense so they had to tie all these boys in together and then like because listening to it it did it sounded like the other three were closer i don't marvin wasn't as close to them where was he no marvin was uh i mean he did go to the alternative high school and that school you know was for the bad kids it was Mm -hmm. for the kids that couldn't make it in the in the regular school but, you know, he was also from Chanana, which is a village um, a few hundred miles away. So maybe there was just a learning curve that, that he didn't have or, or mm-hmm. whatever. But, um, yeah, so the other three kids were, uh, you know, George and Kevin, had, they'd been in trouble with the law before. And they'd, they'd been in trouble after the fact as well. But nothing uh, violent um, so much as... Uh, well, I guess kind of domestic violence, but you know, not we're not talking like murders or anything. But yeah, um, you know, they had pulled a gun on some tourists. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> mm. Once they were finally uh, released from prison, you know, George is is found driving a stolen car. Um, so, and Eugene, you know, he sold a little weed. He got in a few fits the cuffs, but. You know, not not the best kids, but not not terrible kids by any means. But you know, Marvin had never been in trouble whatsoever, so yeah, um, he was kind of a different um, breed than the other three, I would say. Well, and then I was gonna ask, so like they all, so they all got convicted, and how I didn't, even, how long did they do in jail again? Because then they do like twenty, fifteen years. Some of them did fifteen years, right? Uh, they did. They did uh, 16 years. Um, at that point, by the time they were released, and they weren't exonerated, they weren't, um, you know, uh, they weren't let go. The state maintains that they still did it, but anyway, what's important is that they uh, they got out of prison. But yeah, they were in prison for 16 years. Marvin, and again, he kind of continues to differentiate himself between these other three guys. As I said earlier, he was the only one invited to the reception. The other guys were just crashing it. But uh, he had been paroled 
already at that point, uh, like two years prior. Yeah. Um, well, the other three remained in prison. And I, I think didn't he... know this until I started mm-hmm. researching the case. But a lot of states, you know, they contract their their prison uh, their their prisoners to other states. Mm-hmm. So they were actually, even though they're Alaskan, born and raised, they were in prison in Colorado for a while and in Arizona. Oh, yeah, they do that. Well, it seems yeah. messed up. It is messed up because their families can't visit them, and it's just a lot. Yeah, transfer those. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they do that. Well, and I was going to say, like, it seems like, because I always talk about on the podcast how important it is to have actual representation and not public defenders, because what Marvin was the only one that was able to actually get an actual lawyer. So it seems like even though he did his time, it seems like he still got out before them. Do you like have, do you know, like, kind of why you think? You just said he had lawyers. Because he had the lawyer, right? Is that like, but That's I want to. negotiation piece, which yeah. is almost like a different language. Well, yeah. I've been to court a couple yeah, times, so... so I'm going to speak a different language in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was the only one that had uh, a lawyer, uh, or, you know, that wasn't a public defender, but, um, yeah, so, uh, why did he, why did he get out? I think the, so, first of all, I have no idea how they were convicted. The whole theory that the prosecutors had was that this guy, Arlo Olson, who was at the reception, drunk in the parking lot, identified the four of them from 550 feet away. But he didn't identify them beating up John Hartman. He identified them beating up Frank Dayton, the guy that walked up to the reception and was greeted by Marvin. So the theory was the same guys that beat that guy up beat up John Hartman. But with no evidence yeah it didn't sound like they have very much evidence who what is john hartman's background who is he um john was uh he was uh, a poor kid his family um lived in a trailer park um and he he had uh he wasn't in school at this time he was um he hadn't graduated the eighth grade, and so he was kind of working on getting into school. Um, so, you know, that's not a good sign. Like, that's obviously a sign that, that something's wrong, or, or at least that he doesn't have the best upbringing. But, uh, was he in know, the gangs or something like that? No, no, just quiet kid. I think he was into, into girls, and, um, but, you know, that night he meets up with a buddy of his named Chris Stone and two other guys, and they are they're drinking a little bit. They're doing drugs. So Hartman gets um, they're all right. They're fifteen year old kids, and mm-hmm. they're they're getting hired to babysit um, this guy's kids while he's at work. Um, and he's living in this cheap motel that's overrun by prostitutes and whatnot. So, Chris Stone Wait, steals. He was uh, he was hired at fifteen to babysit some people's kids at a prostitute motel. Oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, that sentence kind of describes Fairbanks pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so Chris Stone, uh, 
Chris Stone steals this guy's, uh, is it Wellbutrin? Yeah, it's an antidepressant, but they were just trying to get high off it. So he took, like, a handful of pills that night and had a seizure. Mm. And, um, you know. And this is the same guy that got attacked. Yeah, so, you know, he's okay. not living the cleanest life. Um, you know, his brother was involved in dealing drugs, so was his friend Chris Stone. You know, rumors were that they were actually manufacturing amphetamines in the uh, in their trailer. And Chris Stone, to give you an idea of the kind of guy he is, um, I guess it was a couple months after this, is arrested because he uh, he taped up a girl's hands so that his friend could rape her. Oh, his brother. No, I'm random. saying that's this is the brother of the guy who was assaulted. Oh, yeah, that's his brother. Yeah. Uh, or that's his friend, I'm sorry. Oh, so, friend, his friend, um, okay. So he's hanging out with a meth addict. So, like, you know what I mean? This isn't, like, so much your all-American dude, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, so John was about, uh, I don't know, 5'10", maybe, um, skinny. You know, a skinny, mm-hmm. a skinny teenager. His friend Chris Stone is a bigger guy, probably you know, six two, two hundred pounds, pretty big for a sixteen year old kid. And uh, so John, that night, he's wearing camouflage pants at this party, and they go downtown at some point. Him and Chris uh, in the night, and that's the last anyone saw him was was, or on record anyway, was Chris Stone. And when he's found, he's not wearing his camouflage pants. He's wearing Chris Stone's green corduroys that are eight sizes too big for him. That's the part so, that confused me. Like, how did he get his... Them, okay, let me be quiet. Because I'm like... I was like, the pants confused me. I'm sorry. Sorry, Buddha just wants to focus on the case. <laughs> so, I promise to be quiet, so I'm quiet. Because you heard it. Oh and yeah, I did hear it stuff, already. Yeah. I'm like, okay, let, and sorry. And stuff like that's what confused me, like past tense. Okay, me... I am confused currently. <laughs> okay. I don't have an explanation for it either. Um, you know, maybe when he had a seizure, he like peed on himself. <laughs> I don't know, but um, it's it's weird that you would be wearing your friend's pants, and especially pants that were that that don't fit you so yeah and there's just something kind of creepy about it like i you know i don't i don't wear another man's pants right (laughs) uh i've I've done it you've worn another man's pants but what was the scenario why did you play basketball he had some extra pair of shorts like hey man i'll give you my shorts it was in a he actually had them on he had two pair of shorts on what he plays. He and he just real. took one off and gave it to he you. He's like, "Here, take these, man." <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be like, "He didn't even turn his head." He was like, "Man, take your pants off, and put these on." So oh, I was like, okay. I mean, I you know, kind of. I was like, uh, "He was like, why are you making this weird?" I was like, "Right, right. Let's go ahead, take my pants off, put these shorts on, play some basketball." Oh hell no! <laughs> yeah, but these were. These were the wrong size, and 
obviously they sound like pretty ugly pants too, but I guess that's beside the point. But yeah, yeah, no one knows. That. So he he got into a taxi wearing his camo pants, and then at some point he's found in these other pants, and so there was a a working theory, I guess that that Hartman was uh, sexually assaulted, but I believe that they actually thought that because his pants were pulled down, but but his pants may have been pulled down because they were way, way too big, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's bizarre. There's no real explanation. Clearly, Chris knows something, but he's, he's never, he's never uh, spoken about it or at least not did anything of substance. And so, yeah, so they get out of a cab, and they're seen walking together towards where Hartman was found. So they saw them getting out of the cab. Yeah, a friend's mom, they, they went to a friend's house to try and essentially just crash, like spend the night, and for whatever reason they, they changed their mind but the the friend's mother saw them leaving together but according to Chris they walked separate ways and that's that's very much not true so after after that directly after the attack Chris Stone is uh, he walks into the local grocery store and he's clearly very agitated and freaking out and uh, you know, no one knows why, but it got the attention of all the of all the uh, employees who, who remarked on this. Um, and so later on, while Stone is being interviewed uh, for his involvement in this rape, the uh, detective asks him, "Were you scared when your friend, you know, was was assaulting this girl?" And I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. And he said, he said, yes, I was scared. I was scared the whole time, just like I was scared when my friend died. Oh. So if you want to read into that, that seems to him be him acknowledging that he was there, right? Yeah. The, but yeah. the detective and all his detective ring and his infinite wisdom didn't didn't think that was noteworthy so that just that just completely fell by the wayside but um so something happened you know during that time after they got out of the cab that caused him to freak the hell out and you know oddly enough uh two weeks before this happened chris stone is found walking on this remote uh, piece of highway um, outside of a gold mine on the highway, and he had been beaten up very badly. And mm. so uh, an employee, just acting as a good citizen, called the police. You know, here's this young kid. He's, like, walking in the winter without, you know, a shirt on down the highway, and he's obviously been beat up. So, like, hey, who beat you up? And he wouldn't cooperate. He wouldn't answer the questions. So... You know, it seems fairly possible, I would even say likely, that maybe the same people that beat up Chris 
was stoned two weeks prior. Maybe they were looking for him again. Maybe they're the ones that beat up Hartman. Yeah. Okay. That could be, especially because they were friends. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess the next the next big development in this thing is uh, this guy, William Holmes, um, is, uh, he had been in prison in California for several years because him and his friend murdered a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, their goal, so they were running drugs in Fairbanks and essentially their plan which was not very well thought out they were afraid of getting busted so they decided we gotta kill everyone that knows that we're drug dealers basically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know I feel like that would be kind of impossible right um, plus I'd rather get a drug charge than a murder charge I don't know what people be thinking (laughs) did these guys get but these guys didn't get killed no, they didn't get killed. These were drug dealers that wanted to kill everybody. So they're, they're part of this case. So he's about to tell how they connect to this case. Oh, yeah, so... But, they, but these so, guys weren't killed. No, they weren't he, killed. He had been in prison for years at this point, and his corrections officer, he kind of had a, a good relationship with the guy, and he mentions to this, to this guy, who was kind of a mentor, and... They were talking about Christianity and his, you know, newfound, um, uh, you know, allegiance, his new, his new uh, spiritual beliefs. And he said, so he admitted to the officer, "Hey, there's this kid that was murdered. They got the wrong guys. I was out that night with my friend, and he stomped Hartman to death." So the corrections officer says. Okay, well, if you're a real Christian, you cannot allow these four innocent people to remain in prison. You need to tell someone what happened. Mm -hmm. So he writes a letter uh, confessing to his involvement in in pretty um, easy-to-grasp terms. And he sends it to the Fairbanks Police Department. Essentially, me and my friends were out driving around. you know, him and his, his murdering buddy, and another guy who murdered another guy later, unrelated. Anyway, a car full of five people, three of them are murderers. Not a great ratio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so <laughs> he sends this letter to the Fairbanks Police Department explicitly stating his involvement in this case. And what do they do? They uh, ignore it. Mm-hmm. What did he state? They, he said... Uh, this night, I was out driving around with my four friends. We were looking to beat up some drunk natives. We thought it was funny to play what he called the knockout game, which is physically assaulting an unsuspecting person and laughing about it and driving away. So, mm-hmm. obviously, a real bastard, right? Right. Uh, but... Uh, so he says we were out looking for someone to beat up. We were looking for a native guy, but we saw Hartman. So we flipped the car around. We got out, and my friend started beating him up. But then he didn't stop. You know, it was no longer 
like, yeah, we wanted to beat him up. We didn't want to kill him. And he just kept stomping him until the life left his body, basically. Mm-hmm. And so the police, um, they show this letter to the uh, district attorney who deems it worthless, not worthy of looking into whatsoever, only just a known murderer uh, essentially admitting to committing another murder, but they figured we already got the four guys in prison. And by this time, there's a lot of rumblings about that they probably didn't do it. You know, it, it mm-hmm. took a while for the information to get out there. So, um, yeah, so that letter, that letter just sat there for years and, and it was forgotten about. And, uh, um, Eventually, eventually, uh, Marvin, so at this time, they were getting some press and they had advocates and a legal team that was trying to get them exonerated and, and released. Mm-hmm. And so kind of just by happenstance, their lawyer found this letter, um, like in a drawer along with some other, like, you know, useless documents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what the hell is this? Like, yeah. So, um, so then it got published, and uh, um, that's kind of just the status of it now. Is that you know Holmes is never getting out of prison anyway, but yeah, his, his friend Jason Wallace, who who according to Holmes did the stomping, he could be paroled any day now, which which is scary, but. Um, well, I don't you know, know, there's also the issue of, uh, you know, William Holmes is doing double life without parole for these murders, but who snitched on him and put him in prison? His friend, Jason Wallace, mm-hmm. who did the stomping. So if Holmes, who is openly, like, uh, obsessed with mafia movies and shit, uh, if he wanted to get back at his friend for putting him in prison and having no chance of ever being released, what what better way to do it than yeah. to, you know, implicate him in a murder? Well, and I was going to say, because, like, when I heard your interview with Holmes, like, it's crazy because William Holmes really thinks he's getting out. And I was like, dude, you have double life sentences with no parole. And you asked him that. You said, so the fact that, you know, you're basically admitting that you did another murder, like, do you not think even if you got, you know, paroled here, Alaska's going to come get you and try you for the John Hartman murder at this point? Like, maybe he's just, I don't think he's the sharpest tool in the shed and he's just not thinking about that. But I don't know. interesting if you think about what his motivation could be so mm-hmm. on the one hand it's possible that he just has altruistic motivations and that he wants to, to do the right thing it's also possible that he thinks that even though he's admitting to being involved he was just he was just a driver and in his story you know he he didn't want his friend to to kill the guy and so he's helping these guys get out so doesn't he then kind of look like the good guy yeah yeah and he might think that could somehow you know get him a favor done or something is my that's my thoughts on it well what about the other two guys because i don't remember so the other two guys would they ever say anything about that night or about the john hartman night 
other two guys in the car? Yeah, the other two guys, because there was William Holes, there was Jason, and then there was two other guys, correct? Yeah, no, I reached out to them. They don't want to talk about it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, Holmes didn't... So he really just singled out the one guy that's doing really anything, like, uh, that would still hold up, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. After all this all this time, so... But yeah, the other dude in the car, I guess, was a total weirdo. He wore, like, he wore... <laughs> leopard print underwear for example oh my god okay (laughs) i didn't know about that yeah so he killed a guy over a a bicycle dispute um and so yeah the other and so there's only two guys left that aren't in prison and you know they they haven't said anything about it um either way so I would assume they're kind of nervous about it. Yeah, I would be. I mean, but I just, this is one of those cases I don't know. Like, I I just don't, I mean, because Williams Holmes' confession does sound like, I mean, he, because he named off, like, kind of everything that kind of happened. So, do you think that it's possible that he did it, or what do you think? Because I don't know at this point. I'm like, I I don't know. Um, I think it's the most likely. Yeah. But, you know, he... Because we know he's able to kill people. Absolutely, yeah. But, you know, from my conversations with people that are in the know, and these are shady type people with prison connections, you know, they say that Holmes didn't do it, and that the Fairbanks floor didn't do it either. Um Damn, so we'd be back to the scratching pose. If the Fairbanks floor didn't do it, or Holmes didn't do it, we don't know who the hell did it. Yeah. yeah, but there's also so Jason Wallace, the guy he singled out as as stomping and uh, Hartman to death. Supposedly, he confessed to his public defender, but it was never um, pursued because of, of client attorney privileges. But mm-hmm. uh, supposedly, he did confess to it. He also apparently confessed to a couple like high school guys that he would smoke weed with and told them. Yeah, you know, I stomped him to death, and if you ever tell anyone about this, I'll kill you. And so they didn't, uh, they didn't mention it, you know, for years and years until the Fairbanks Four had. So I guess to kind of tie it in, that letter eventually was enough to get the Fairbanks Four a post-conviction relief trial, which is basically a hearing to say. Do we need to reverse this this sentence? These mm-hmm. sentences, right? Mm-hmm. So that letter actually was enough to, to you know, because you have to have a certain um, you have to have cause to do this. It's not an automatic thing. So they they deemed that the letter was enough, and it did end up getting them uh, released from prison. However, the state maintains that they're guilty and. You know, they haven't been compensated or anything. Um, so they could be tried again, in theory, but... Oh, they could be tried again. Okay, that... Okay. Yeah, you're right. doesn't want to admit that they got the wrong guys. Right. 
and it's, yeah, it's one of those cases where it's like, yeah, they're out because I've heard, you know, of cases like this, and that's the same thing that happened. When what was that one? I it, it just blanked out on me now. But it's the same thing where they just had to pay those five guys from New York because they were accused of raping a woman. You know what I mean? But it's like sometimes the trial, the courts don't exonerate you; they just kind of let you out. But that's still on your record, and to your community, you're still a murderer or a rapist or whatever the hell it is you did. I spent that time. Yeah. And the sad part is, too, that with their unwillingness to admit they were wrong, if they were to convict someone else of the murder, that would essentially prove that they were wrong. Mm -hmm. And then they would have to pay, most likely pay the Fairbanks for. And so, you know, what they're, what they're, so so now they have a, a motivation not to actually figure out who did it. Oh, you're right. Because it's kind of like the case is now cold. Like, they let them out, but they're not going to try to pursue no other avenues. Right, because doing so would prove that they got the wrong guys, but they framed for innocent people. So yeah. So are they not going to pursue homes at all? They're just going to kind of just let that go a little bit? Yeah, there's no active investigation. Um, mm. and, in fact, I just spoke to someone at the uh, state trooper's office who does, um, you know, cold case investigation. And he, this guy told me explicitly that this is the one case they're not allowed to touch. Wow. They want it it to go away. That's Um, very telling. That's very telling right there. Yeah. So it's a pretty sad story. You know, Mm -hmm. these, these four guys are... You know, like I said, uh, a couple of them have been in trouble, a little bit of legal trouble since they got out. But, you know, they're, they're still trying to put their lives back together. I mean, they were 17, 18, 19, mm-hmm. 20 years old when they went in. And then, by the time, you know, that's like your whole, like, young adult life. It is. Um, and that's sad because, like, you know, if they didn't do it, then they really need justice. I mean, they lost their whole... And, like, some of them I know got married and had kids and stuff, but some of them kind of didn't, right? Yeah. Yeah, some of them... A couple of them, are, I think, are still struggling a little bit. Yeah. It's hard to acclimate yourself to the to society after you've been in there for so long, especially for an innocent person. I mean, that's just horrible. They lost their whole life. Yeah, and Arlo guy who identified them from two football fields away um you know he recanted his um testimony then he recanted that then he recanted it again and so it got to the point where he had absolutely zero credibility whatsoever so like his words were completely meaningless and uh i I would say unfortunately because you know i did know this guy and I didn't know, for example, that he was beating up his pregnant girlfriend mm. um, on a regular basis. But I, I, I thought he was a, a good guy. I thought there was something redeemable in him, and you know, maybe he could have turned it around. Probably not. Yeah. He probably would have been in and out of jail. But he, uh, at this point, was was shunned by the native community and himself being a native, you know, because everyone kind of figured out that his lies kind of cost these guys their lives. And, uh, so he ended up, uh, 
hanging himself. Oh, that's yeah, that's that's mm. sad. He hung himself. Damn. Yeah, yeah, and even though, like I said, he probably wasn't the best guy, but like to be honest, when I was, you know, we're sixteen, he was nineteen. You know, he's he's buying us beer and stuff. He was a funny. He was a funny, charming, you know, good-looking guy. He just had an awful lot of problems. But um, so anyway, it's it's just kind of sad. But I yeah. guess if you can't take the heat, you probably shouldn't be meddling in right these kinds of things. Agreed. And I remember him bragging to us. The uh, he had like a credit card that the police department gave him. Uh huh. As like an informant, so basically, they were like, "Tell, tell the judge that you saw these guys do it, and wink, wink. Here, go dine out wherever you want. Go run up five hundred dollars." Oh wow! Mm-hmm. And he thought he thought this was the greatest thing ever. So, yeah. You know, looking back, not not very cool, but but you know what I mean. I guess you don't. Sometimes you don't realize that stuff at the time, especially when you're a teenager, you know? Yeah, you definitely don't. Like, that's the coolest thing at the time. But then you look back on it and you're like, well, what the fuck did I just do? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) (laughs) Well, all in all, the case for me is a dissection uh, of three parts. I mean, no offense in the sense of it. One is the negligence of the officers. Um, It is definitely presence of and motivation from multiple avenues in which this person would have somebody attacking him mm-hmm. uh, not just these two people have an antagonist and I think that opens it up too much and that's the part when I was saying deny the offense of is even receiving the information I feel uh, even when I'm just hearing it it sounds biased mm-hmm. just in the, hearing the, the interactions I mean I know he's very connected to the case and I know you are Mike, uh, but I know that I'm I'm just hearing this information as a bias, as a person, as a third party, non-biased party, uh, just trying to hear the information as facts of what they are. Um, but in the clarity of it all, is that it does not sound like it's a sure thing of who may have been attacking mm-hmm. this guy, mm-hmm. and there's a very number of reasons why he could be attacked. Yeah. Um, to where I can understand why the cops doesn't want to touch it because it will take a hell of a lot of involvement which you're talking about somebody who even killed your informant you know so I mean that gives a lot of reasons for a number of people to want to kill him yeah this case definitely yeah this case has a lot of layers there's kind of a fallacy too and and this isn't me criticizing supporters of the Fairbanks whore but it should be pointed out you know false prison confessions actually put these guys in jail and so, you know, their supporters, I, I would count myself in that group, are saying, or we're saying, you know, this is this is bullshit because you, all you did was you went into the jail and had all these guys make up lies and then you, you know, you traded, they traded lower sentences for, for telling the cops what they wanted to hear. But, and so, yeah, that's not, that's not uh, the right, that's not the right way to handle it. That's not what should put someone in jail but then when they want them to get out what are they using to get them out same mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. you know, confessions which just aren't credible in general 
because the people have all kinds of motivations, and they're and they're you know murderers. They're not they, they don't mind lying. Yeah, that's a super so, big contradiction, right? I right. didn't even people think about that. Look for any type of information to yeah. try and get their time delinquent. So, and especially, I think we was talking about it before, is not even kind of good cop, bad cop. It's like bad cop and not so bad cop. Yeah. Nowadays, where they're pushing you and they're going to push you to be convicted unless you say something. Yeah. Even though you have nothing to do with it or you're just a driver or whatever. And they kind of know it too. But they tell you stuff like they're going to convict you for everything as if yeah. you killed them. Yeah. you tell them something. Yeah. And so that type of tactic is what we were hearing is not an efficient tactic in which can get somebody out, especially somebody who's not involved in and or you know, or maybe a bystander of it. Yeah, you know, like how do they get themselves out of it? Mm-hmm. They don't have nothing to tell. They're not affiliated, right? So now you're gonna make some shit up just to get out of some shit that yeah. you wasn't involved in in the first place. Oh my gosh, our justice system is fucking garbage. Mm. Oh, just yeah. doing these podcasts. Our justice system is freaking garbage. You guys doing these podcasts. Yeah, it really makes you see that. Cops were were completely either unethical if you wanna if you wanna be diplomatic about it, but you know more than likely um, actual kind of criminals. Like, Mm, and and I have experiences with the Fairbanks Police Department um, before, and you know they like to show up to like high school parties and pull their guns out and <laughs> oh my god so they were they were unchecked you know and and they didn't do they didn't do their their job you know so they got these guys after they they pegged the Fairbanks floor of uh of doing this you know they got all their clothes they got their shoes and they uh they searched the car trying to find some evidence, you know, of blood, did blood on these clothes match Hartman's blood. They charged him before they ever got the results back. And mm. the results all came back none, nothing. That's so crazy. They had essentially, the only evidence they had was a guy. Well, okay, they did have two confessions. <laughs> Maybe yeah. Well, that's the other thing, and I always tell, I say on this podcast, whether you're guilty or you're innocent, what do you always do, Buddha? Not confess to anything. You get have an attorney. Do not talk to the cops without an attorney. This mm. is a prime example. Whether you're guilty or innocent, do not talk to the cops without an attorney. Because in these cases, the cops is not for you. Therefore, whatever happened, they want to solve the case. So do not talk to anybody without an attorney. I actually, I would disagree. I don't think they wanted <coughs> to solve the case. I think they just wanted the appearance of having solved the case. Mm. But, you know, so if you throw out the confessions, which is, you know, after hours and hours, yeah, I kicked him in the head. Yeah, we fucked him up, that type of thing. And those probably should hold some, you know, like, those aren't nothing. Like, you need to pay attention to that. But if you throw those out and, and you look at the pattern of <laughs> false confessions, if you throw those out, the only the only evidence is a stoned, drunk guy identifying them from 550 feet away in the dark, which is impossible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but you're right. If they hadn't talked to the cops and given those confessions, whether they were real or not, mm-hmm. um, they would have never been 
convicted and and they, they messed up, you know? And yeah. so two of them two of them confessing think about how the other two guys felt. Right. For real. I know I'll beat somebody's ass. Don't put my name on it. If I'm innocent especially, I will beat the fuck out of somebody if they sat here and put my name in a confession. That's how you prove you're innocent. For you're beating somebody to death if you beat somebody else. <laughs> I, I just see don't you. be playing around. I, I don't play around. Then of course you know, I really they, believe you. They did stick together. They never did uh, turn on each other. And I, I've heard Marvin in an interview saying that uh yeah there were times that he was resentful and i mean of course you can't even blame him but you know through it all they did actually um stick together they never turned on each other i mean and that's what the courts actually used to them as a default that's what i was saying that i think it was kind of bad and 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 piggybacking on what i was saying earlier of choosing someone, yeah, um, because you chose someone who, and you know, they're just four, but they're like in that loyal gang type of mentality, yeah. In which, if someone says they did something towards it, I can't say it may have been one or two of them. Um, you'd be surprised how strong an islander is, and they could mess somebody up. But if one did anything about that and confessed to it with threats of trying to save its friends, mm-hmm. they're all just gonna fold and say they did it, just trying to all be loyal to one another, right. Right. So how do you guys feel, if I can ask you a question, I was, actually, this morning, I was talking to a friend of mine, and, uh, you know, I'm a loyal person, I'm still friends with all these guys I grew up with in Alaska, and, and uh, you know, I, I really would do anything for a friend, except if they told me they murdered someone, mm-hmm. uh, I, I would not be okay with that, but I was trying to think of a line. I'm not saying I condone any of this, but if a friend of mine said, uh, I stole a car, yeah, don't, don't tell anyone, I'd be like, okay, because it's, it's not victimless, but it, I don't know, it's not like violent or anything. But, yeah, if a friend of mine said, hey, guess what, you know, I beat this dude to death a Ugh. few years ago, I don't care how close of friends we are, I'm actually going to the police yeah like you know what it's crazy because my opinion about this has changed so much so like over the years before i started podcasting and really researching these cases i was like i ain't saying shit because it's none of my business and you know you stay in your lane but now i think i would say something because i know that i could be implicated in that shit just for knowing about it so at that point i have to go to the police because you done told me uh it's either this is the thing that i i, I definitely agree with let's go back to the poor man's copyright uh-huh. Uh, and the thing of if you want to be the loyal friend and say, hey, I'm not going to tell you, but tell them, like, man, you crossed the line on that one. Yeah. And so just letting you know, I can't be anything to do with it if it goes down. And I've told, you know, some friends that I had that were really real, I, I tell them I want plausible deniability. Like, I'm not part of that. What you do is then write it down mm-hmm. and date it mm-hmm. and mail it to yourself. Oh. You didn't tell anyone. Yeah. But you have a certified thing that is federally government stamped as well. Don't open it up. Oh, yeah. And then use it in court. Like, this is the date in which I was told everything <laughs> that was just said. That makes sense. Do we have to be like, for a friendship, do we have to be like a therapist or a counselor? How they be like, okay, like it, the only time if you say you're going to hurt somebody or hurt yourself, I'm going to have to tell. Like, do we have to do that? Well, and yes, and then no. <laughs> but at the same time, if it is something that you feel it will 
irreparably damaged a friendship and something that you can't handle and just going in and telling on them. Yeah. Then I say you still have to cover your value. You still have to cover yourself. Yeah. In which you didn't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. You didn't actually confess anything, but it is written down and yeah. dated and stamped by the federal government. That when it is opened up in court, you was informed of this information. You was not involved of it at all. That's a good idea, Buddha. He had a good idea. I didn't even think about that. I'm a, I'm a mail stuff to myself. Well, I wonder if in this case, the fact that, you know, three of these guys are already in prison is kind of like, well, I guess justice has been done, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. too late now. But if you had it dated before and when the incident did happen, yeah. that's what I was saying. Because I do that sometimes when I have conversations when I feel like somebody's going to steal my idea. Oh, yeah. I remember I, I did yeah. that email. Yeah, you mailed something feel, to me, yeah. Yeah, if I feel like you're going to even steal my idea, I'll just sit there and write that whole day down. Yeah. Write the whole conversation down as I, as I felt it was going to be. And I'm going to say exactly what I said in court is exactly what's on that paper. Yeah. It's going to be something that's almost indisputable because it's also federally stamped. Yeah. You know, there's also a little... I mean, I don't want to say a side note because that sounds kind of demeaning, but um, Holmes's baby mama, he uh, had a child with this woman, and uh, she was murdered, too, and uh, that's unsolved, and seems kind of likely that the uh, these two guys that were murdering a bunch of other people, mm-hmm. and if they were murdering people that knew their secrets about their drug trade i mean obviously the his girlfriend for lack of a better word or whatever she was would be one of those people so it looks like um either holmes or wallace may have may have also killed uh, this woman and, and that's unsolved and probably will never be solved that's so sad her mm. murder is never going to be solved. She's never going to have any justice. And I mean, honestly, when I heard that, I feel like I feel like Holmes did it because who else would have the motive to do it? You know what I mean? That was his baby mama. She knew all about it. He had just got through saying he was going to kill anybody that was involved in the whole drug or knew about it. So I feel like he did it. Yeah, and he, 100%. you know, he in his other murders, Jason Wallace, he was um, fond of using screwdrivers. Um, knives basically and that that's the same the, the wounds on her body were from a a screwdriver like incident so it's pretty fucked up man like I was talking to this one guy who who Jason Wallace tried to kill but failed but he stabbed him in the ear with a screwdriver oh my god and uh, so I'm oh. talking to that guy and that guy doesn't know that I know that this murderer stabbed him in the neck, in the neck with a screwdriver. Yeah. And he didn't really volunteer that information because, like, I think he just doesn't want to think about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, oh, wow. That's mm. that's brutal. Can you imagine getting stabbed in your ear with I'm a screwdriver? I think it was the neck. I misspoke. But same, oh. Same thing. Yeah. You know, he's just a normal enough guy who was probably involved in some kind of drug deal. And, yeah, I mean, he came, got it been within inches of losing his life. So these guys are, they were bad guys, man. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, not very good rappers either. 
Oh my gosh, yeah. So Williams Holmes was a rapper, and like you played a song, and I was like, huh? Like I was like, I don't know if it's because I know what he did or because his music just really wasn't good. But I wasn't feeling it. But I was like, if he wouldn't have did all that stuff, would I have been feeling it? I don't know. Well, that's to give rappers the credibility. They have to do something. <laughs> but his music just wasn't good then. Yeah. I don't think I liked it. So yeah, you're right. You gotta be yeah. So I yeah, I don't think it was good. But I mean, that was like nineteen. I guess, 96, 97, when he probably made that album. And that, that stuff does sound pretty dated now. Like, a lot yeah. of that Tupac-like stuff. No, I'm not, I don't know why I'm defending Holmes' music career, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know, like, it was, you know what, because he did have that kind of vibe, you know what I mean? So maybe if we were in the 90s, maybe we would have liked it. I don't know. It would have been, yeah. He was the man back then. Yeah. Well, this has been so good. Like, thank you so much for giving me so much, like, giving us so much insight about this case. I love this. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, uh, I hope that, uh, this will be a TV show uh, that everyone will be able to watch in the near future, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't ever mind talking about it, and it, it was nice talking to you guys about it. Yeah, this was great, and like honestly, everybody needs to go and listen to Murder on Ice because like you broke the case down so good, like you have all these interviews and. Man, it's so great. So can you tell everybody like where to find you? Like where do you want to be found? Where they can listen to all this stuff and. Yeah, you can find that one and the Death Row Diaries on, on uh, I mean, you could just Google it, really, um, or Spotify, Apple, um, yeah, just all the regular um, platforms, yeah, just search uh, huh? the Murder on Ice, which I realize is a pretty cheesy name, I, I, I wasn't. <laughs> I liked it though. It's catchy. Alaska Ice, like you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah you can find that in Death Row Diaries on, like I said, Spotify, Apple, and uh, wherever you're listening to this one. Actually, so. thank you. Do you have any social medias that you want to plug? Oh man, my Instagram account kind of sucks, to be honest. But, Does it? Uh, <laughs> hey, mine is not existing, so it's better than mine. <laughs> Oh, well, that's so awesome. So next week's case, we're going to be covering Tiffany Moss, which is the stepmother from hell who okay. starved her daughter, stepdaughter to death. So we'll be talking about that. I spent like hours looking at the case. So we're going to break that down. We're going to look at the trials and everything. So that's going to be, it's going to be so sad. That's going to be a major trigger warning. I don't like sound to like see it, kids die. Sound like if Gruella was somebody's baby mama, as y- he said. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And if you want to, you know, follow us, then um, send us an email, hotgarbagenews at gmail.com. Follow the show on Instagram at Hot Garbage Show. Join the discussion group. The discussion group is Hot Garbage True Crime Edition. And also follow me because I'm also an author, too, and I'm on TikTok. It's Author Nisha. So, yeah, everyone. So, take care and watch your back out there. Peace.